This podcast is free and it's accessible to everyone thanks to support from listeners like you. If you value this show, please consider supporting its production by donating to our home, KUOW. It only takes a minute to give and you'll be helping to support the production of this podcast. Make a donation at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thanks. Welcome to Friday. Welcome to KUOW's Week in Review. I'm Bill Radke. Great to have you along with us. This is the time we take together here at the end of the week. We figure out what happened this week and what it all means. And I'm so happy to have some journalists with me, including freelance health reporter Joanne Silberner. Joanne, good to have you on the show again. Hi, Bill. Great to be here. And political analyst and contributing columnist Joni Balter. Welcome back, Joni. Good to see you. And And I can see you. Yes, we can see one another because we're live streaming the show on YouTube and Facebook. You just search KUOW Public Radio and you'll find us. And you'll find KUOW's Soundside host, Libby Dankman. Libby, thanks for coming on Week in Review. Hey, Bill. It's great to be here with everybody. Great to have you. I hear this might be the latest we've ever reached, 75 degrees. They keep coming up with new categories of records to break. And apparently (laughs) Libby's head is in her hands. It's painful. It is painful. It's the longest winter. I've ever experienced. <laughs> it's gloomorama. Yes, gloomorama. Well, let's let's make it uh, a little brighter here by um, by walking through the news of the week. We're going to start with the Washington State's ban on high capacity gun magazines. It hasn't happened this week, but uh, we're we're getting ready for it to take effect. And just to remind you, Joni, this is not a sudden reaction to the Texas or the Buffalo shootings. This was passed by our state legislature. Yes, it was. You know, uh, you got to keep your eye here on the states, of what they're doing, because Congress will often disappoint. I just saw on Twitter, a uh, GOP source familiar with gun talk says it's going to be a long time before that gun legislation everybody's been talking about. The text of it is going to be released. And then they started blaming each other. So uh, <laughs> as as we've seen before. So the claim to fame for Washington uh over many years and and well before uh, this latest iteration of horror is that we have really used the initiative process very effectively. And we've also, uh, the folks in this business would say, we've elected some lawmakers who who are now willing to do some of that that work. Mm -hmm. And um, are we, so so is this something that blue states all line up to do? We all sort of get the blue state memo and, and do all the same gun regulation? Or uh, uh, I, I know, uh, Libby, you were telling me that California is actually uh, ahead of us when it comes to uh, what we're doing here in a, a couple of weeks by by banning these big uh, gun magazines. Yeah, California has this patchwork of gun legislation. This is similar to Washington state in some ways. In other ways, they're ahead of us. Governor Gavin Newsom in California has been really uh, pushing hard to do things like instituting a um, an effort to use the Texas abortion framework, being able to go after people in civil court to um, attack uh, gun ownership and improper gun sales in that state. 
you know, one of the big things is that California had a ban on assault weapons until very recently when a judge overturned it. It also banned high capacity magazines, uh, the sale and purchase of that back in the year 2000. Now, um, just in 2016, voters decided to also uh, ban the ownership of those high capacity magazines. That has been tied up in courts just in November. The Ninth Circuit reinstated that high capacity ban. So people would have to turn over their their uh, high capacity magazines. And the argument there is that this is going after mass shootings, right? It's not going to blunt overall gun crime, but that when a mass shooter has to pause to reload, when they can only uh, use 10 rounds at a time, that's giving law enforcement, that's giving people in the firing line a chance to change things. Um, Again, this has been tied up in the courts in California. It's probably going to go to the Supreme Court. um, And that's going to be something to watch for all kinds of gun regulation across uh, across the states. But I would like to point out, you know, that we can see the effects of blue states like California in their patchwork of legislation in the mortality rate for guns uh, per capita. California in the year 2020 saw 8.5 gun deaths per 100,000 people. Washington states, it was a little bit higher, 10.9 gun gun deaths per 100,000 people. But an advocate like Governor Newsom in California would say no one law is going to change anything. But what happens is this kind of Swiss cheese effect. Uh, They're trying to block uh, these holes in the system. And one by one, they knit together to create real change. Can I just add really quickly here to your point? Is it mostly blue states? Yes, it's not all of them, but it's mostly blue states. California, like you're mentioning, New York jumped in real quick with some new legislation, New Jersey. The one exception that's not a blue state, uh, and this goes back a few years to 2018 after Parkland in Florida. I guess you call Florida purple or red. But anyway, they passed a law there that really did a few things like raising the minimum age to 21 for buying a long gun. And also establish what they call a red flag law that allows law enforcement officers to take weapons from folks who are uh, deemed a threat to themselves or others. So I just wanted to add that because I didn't get to that. And I wanted to add, Libby, I'm so glad you had those numbers on the effect because there was a ban put into effect by Congress on research uh, in public health research on gun use and uh, and death in 1996 actually following a really remarkable study that came out of the University of Washington and several other places showing that having a gun in the home didn't necessarily mean a lower homicide rate. So the idea that the states are now becoming the incubators or the or places where you can actually see that these laws can make a difference is really encouraging. Yeah, so, so, you, certainly. Yeah. Sorry, Joni, you, you see it. I mean, in uh, states with laxer gun regulation, you see a significant increase in the number of deaths per capita. And again, like you say, it's it's sort of a laboratory to see the way that legislation can impact things. And so a, a stat that I have from the Alliance for Gun Responsibility is this, that mass shootings that involve the large capacity magazines result in twice as many fatalities compared to mass shootings that don't involve high capacity magazines. 
We've been talking about Washington State's uh, ban on these high-capacity gun magazines about to take effect July 1st, right? And it was passed in the legislature in this uh, in this latest session. You're listening to Week in Review on KUOW Seattle. I want to bring in the fact that the FDA this week approved the coronavirus vaccine for infants and toddlers. And health reporter Joanne Silberner, I wondered how significant you think this vaccine approval is for the future of this pandemic. Uh, I wish I could say very significant, because certainly there are a number of parents out there who've really been waiting for this for kids. But there was a poll done back in May, and I'm checking my notes here so that I can get the numbers right. By the Kaiser Family Foundation, they asked parents, what would you do if there's a vaccine available for your zero to five-year-old kid? Only two out of 10 parents surveyed said they would get the vaccination as soon as they could. Nearly four in 10 said they were going to wait and see. And, you know, maybe they've waited and maybe seeing the approval will make a difference. Three in 10 said definitely not. And one in 10 parents said they'd get their kids vaccinated only if required. So I'm not all that. I I think what this will do is for the parents who want it will be reassuring to them and to their kids and maybe to the people around their kids. But I don't think it's going to make the difference that the adult vaccinations did because the adult vaccination rates are pretty good here in, in Washington. 95% of 65 and olders are fully vaccinated. That, that's really impressive. Uh, five and up, so lower. Uh, 87% have gotten one dose. 78% have, are, you know, have gotten a full dose, which is either two or three. I'm not sure what that is for kids. But I'm not optimistic that, that, that the one for zero to five-year-olds, it wants, it, it's got to get approved by the CDC as well, which is likely to happen this weekend. I wish I could say it was going to make a big difference, but I don't think so. I was thinking that, you know, that, you know, kids don't seem to get very sick from COVID, but uh, let's say during the summer travel season, you'd think that parents that want to get on planes where folks are not masking and the airports are, are you know, a mix might want that protection. It makes sense. I mean, they're not forcing it on anybody. It's for folks who want it. Well, I think, can we talk about cruise ships now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, actually, before we get to cruise ships, I have a question. Because our listeners might be wondering this. Does FDA approval, and then you're saying you're expecting uh, an okay from the CDC, uh, for, for these vaccines for little kids, is that is that the our health officials certifying that, they are they've studied this enough that there is certainty or whatever the scientific version of certainty is that these vaccines are what no risk low risk what does that approval what what should that approval tell our listeners who might be wondering what to do well the best thing to do is talk to your doctor or your pediatrician because it's the moderna and pfizer vaccines the side effect panel is a little bit different for each of them uh, and I think the scheduling, I, one of them, I think, is three vaccinations. The other is two. It, and that can be an issue for parents coming in. It, it's worth asking your doctor which one. Uh, risk, there's always a risk. It's very, very low. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, effectiveness, you know, like with adults, I think that they can still get sick or they can still carry the virus, but they're not going to get as sick and they're not as many of them are going to carry the virus. Mm-hmm. It's definitely effective in these kids. I mean, it's a pretty rigorous procedure or approval procedure. It's gone through. It's definitely effective, mm-hmm. never low, no risk, but certainly low risk. Yeah. And again, talk to your pediatrician about which one. Okay. 
Uh, okay. Joanne really wants to talk about cruise ships. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 I've never been on a cruise ship, Joanne. It's summertime. Can, can cruise ships be super uh, COVID safe? You're out on deck waltzing or whatever you do on a nope. cruise ship? Not super waltzing? safe. Wait, I don't wait. know. What do you do on a cruise ship on the deck? Shuffle the chairs Just around? waltzing constantly, ballroom dancing, yes. Sometimes you get COVID. Sometimes oh. you get COVID. Let me give you the number. Uh, well, first, let me give you the extent. Last year, 82 cruise ships left from Seattle. This year, 265. That's more than three times as many. Economic impact, $900 million. This is a big deal. You know, it's certainly helpful for merchants downtown. Uh, Seattle Times had a great and sad story about a family that went on a cruise ship and one of the four of them got sick on day four and they didn't see him. And, you know, he was taken, he was kept isolated and taken to a quarantine hotel afterwards. This is not fun. Mm -hmm. How often does it happen? Well, let's see. The CDC today has 86 of 95 cruise ships currently in U.S. waters. 86 of 95 reporting cases. Mm. So, yeah, you get on a cruise ship, somebody is going to get sick. How many varies that there haven't been the ones, you know, in the beginning of COVID, we were seeing everybody on ships get sick. It's, it's certainly not to that extent, but some people will. And if it's your vacation, it's not going to be fun. Mm. And people keep doing it. It's like, Why? It's because they're so pent up. I mean, you're seeing travel spending across the board going up, even in this inflationary economy. It's people are desperate to get out of their homes and out of their humdrum everyday lives. Cruises have, you know, been an affordable way to do that. And, you know, at this point, I think a lot of people are just making the calculation that we roll the dice, maybe we get sick, our waltzing game gets a little little subdued. By the way, how did you know my life was humdrum? Yeah, well, I just... (laughs) Wow, I feel seen. Yeah. This is a a (laughs) new word. (laughs) We have a new word from the Mayo Clinic. It's pangry. And what Pangry is, is a Mayo Clinic psychiatrist says it's an increase in frustration, agitation, and anger because of COVID-19 and the stresses of it. And there's an antidote, actually several things. Waltzing. Well, you know, your your numbers weren't good for the thing that everybody in everything you do, especially, you know, we're just approaching the solstice, the summer. Everyone's making risk assessments about a lot of things. I didn't love the 86 out of 95 as a as a working percentage there, but you know, each of us is doing that. I went to an indoor restaurant. I was a little jittery about it was raining outside. I meant to eat outside. And then I looked and there was a sliding door next to me and I had to take the stick out of the bottom because it was blocking you from opening it. But I took the stick out, mm-hmm. slid the door open, <laughs> made sure nobody was looking. And there I had like a beautiful breeze. Joni's like breaking out of restaurants left and right. Yeah. No. That's the thing to do. Locks. See if you can rearrange the restaurant. So, <laughs> Joanne, I, I get that, that cruises are fraught, uh, but I assume if you go to an outdoor summer concert, like at, say, Woodland Park Zoo, that's completely relaxing right now, right? Would you say no tension? Not as much as it used to be, at least oh. according to my neighborhood uh, Facebook group. People are really angry at some of the new rules that Zootunes put into effect last year. Most of their complaints, sealed water bottles and empty refillable water bottles are acceptable, but you can't bring any other food or beverage in. Remember the days where you would bring a big picnic basket in? Yep, yep. Wine and I have a question. Is that a staffing shortage for cleaning or is that 
some kind of COVID safety thing, because it sounds like the first. Yeah, Yeah, well, they put it into effect last year uh, as one of their COVID uh, approaches. And uh, it's it's not clear to me now, you know, why why they've they've continued with that. And also, uh, because it goes along with some other things like clear bags, you can only bring in clear bags. I, I don't know how many of you have clear bags to pack things in. I, I don't. Some sort of say others kind of safety thing, I think. Yeah, yeah that goes that with might the be Sounders as well. But they, they the came in games. with with yeah. last year's last year, and and I just remember going with picnic baskets and. You still, the low chair thing remains, and I'm happy about that. You can only have low chairs, you can't have the high chairs, but that's good because if you're sitting behind somebody in a high chair, but the no picnic baskets has really got people going. There's yeah. nothing as glamorous as walking around with all of your earthly possessions in a clear plastic bag. I'm telling that you. That your bread used to be in. It that's... is so embarrassing. Yeah. It's truly like, wow, that's the brand of lipstick or what? It's Yeah, it's gross. Yeah, I know. It's not the same as the picnic basket, uh, the weave. Okay, we have, need to take a little bit of break as we're describing what it's like to live in the Pacific Northwest this week. I'm on with Joni Balter here and Joanne Silberner. And Libby Denkman, my KUOW co-host, and we're in it together um, because not only are Libby and I teammates, but Libby, this is the final day of our tiny uh, membership drive, our summer membership drive. So this is where I get a chance to pause and say our budget year is ending in less than two weeks and, you know, planning the the budget and how to use those resources. So um, Libby, help me make the case. Uh, it's time to go to KUOW.org if you love Week in Review or the rest of the programming and uh, and make up your donation. It is time, KUOW.org or 206-543-9595. KUOW needs your support, and we have a big challenge in our hands for this hour. It's a $3,500 dollar-for-dollar match, and we only have about 38 minutes to do this in. Judy from Seattle has generously offered to match contributions all of them, up to $6,000 right now. So it's uh, their way, Judy's way of encouraging you to join them in support of the programming that we rely on this uh, uh, today during Week in Review and all throughout the programming day at KUOW, 206-543-9595 or go online to KUOW.org. Help us meet that $3,500 dollar-for-dollar matching challenge. Everything you give, that means, will be doubled. Okay, we're going to get back to Week in Review. That's why we're all here. I just want to remind you that the word match is just a uh, such a beautiful word during these membership drives, so, that someone as nice as Judy from Seattle is making your contribution suddenly doubled. So if you decide to contribute $0 right now, then that's worth $0. But if you can contribute anything, the power of that is doubled right now, and we're trying to meet this hourly goal right at the end of our budget year. So please, right now, before we get back to Week in Review, you can call 206-543-9595. You can donate online very conveniently, KUOW.org. Get your contribution matched. Double the impact of your support. And thank you for supporting listener-powered KUOW. Your contribution is double, 206-543-9595, KUOW.org. Go ahead and make that donation now to help us meet this goal. And thank you so much for everyone who's supporting Week in Review and KUOW during this June member drive. You rely on this podcast to stay informed and connected with your local community, and we rely on you. Without listener support, this show simply wouldn't exist. 
Be a part of the team that makes this show possible by donating to our home, KUOW. It only takes a minute. Donate at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thank you. You're listening to Week in Review here on listener-powered KUOW. I'm Bill Radke, along with my SoundSide co-conspirator, SoundSide host Livy Dankman, and we've got political analyst and contributing columnist Joni Balter and freelance health reporter Joanne Silberner. And we're talking about the news of the week. We're streaming the show, by the way. You can watch us on uh, Facebook and YouTube. You just search KUOW Public Radio. Joni Balter, I'd like to check in on whatever happened to defund the police in Seattle. Um, how how is that going? Is it still going? Is Seattle defunding police? Is Seattle setting up non-police options? What's new? So I would say defund is um, yes and no, because it's, it's tricky here. I hope I don't go too far into the weeds. Um, the public mood, the mayor is for more police. Um, and, you know, the way the public voted is what I mean in the recent election. But the huge factor here, and this is for... Um, you know, several reasons. Uh, we have lost in two years 350 officers who were either, you know, offended by some of the things that happened with the defund movement or just didn't feel appreciated or wanted to move to different jobs or different jurisdictions where they felt more welcome. But if you take all the money that was to go to their salaries, yeah, that is a way of defunding, even if it's sort of passive and not intended. Um, what do you so, mean by take away the money that goes to their salaries? How much defunding has actually happened? I thought that was more well, talk the number than was seventeen percent, but at one point, mm-hmm. but it was a lot of sort of moving a department, you know, parking enforcement officers over here, nine one one over there. But recently, uh, Seattle City Council Member Sarah Nelson uh, tried to capture some of the money from the salaries to give it to recruitment. We seri- we clearly need more officers, and so. Um, she successfully was able to maneuver $1.1 million for recruitment. That would be you know, a recruiter, an advertising campaign, and a little bit for what they called moving expenses. There wasn't a ton, and there was room for more of this. There wasn't a ton of money left for actual bonuses to try to keep people here or to lure people, those kind of hiring bonuses that are paid by many other jurisdictions. It wasn't a ton of money. It could have been more. And I would argue that it should be more with so many officers leaving. Joanne, what about the non-cop solutions, the crisis centers? Then I suppose you could talk housing and education and health care. But what kind of non-police officer solutions is Seattle standing up? Well, there are a few. There's something called Health One, and Crosscut did an analysis last September showing that uh, police are more reluctant to engage with people who are acting out. So this Health One idea is that firefighter social worker teams who would go out on calls. And there was, that seems to be going. I haven't done, I haven't taken a look lately to see how it's going, but that's, that's out there. Then uh, uh, the former mayor had the idea of something called triage one. I'm not sure what the difference was, but it, they did have, she had two and a half million dollars in her budget that got cut down to 1.2 million. And that should be just getting off the ground. I haven't seen much coverage though. So I, I don't know how much of an effect it's having. And, and at $1.2 million, you know, given how many of the police calls are for people who are acting out and, and you know, somebody calls it in and says something needs to happen, I don't know how far either program can really get. 
Joni, the Seattle Times and KUOW have reported that the Seattle Police Department has not been fully staffing its sexual assault unit and not assigning new cases with adult victims. Has the SPD deprioritized sexual assault investigations in favor of things like clearing tent encampments or directing traffic for overtime pay? Is that well, that's that's the line. But I think you have to put this in the context that we're talking about. When you uh, trim the overall department uh, and the chief will tell you this, you know, right to your face, it's not it's not sneaky. He had to hit all the units, many units, to bring officers to come in and help with 911 response and regular patrol. Um, I I don't think anybody sort of set out to deplete the sexual assault unit, and they seem to want to quickly move to improve it. Uh, I'm hearing, I'm guessing, I'm thinking that uh, Bruce Harrell has some kind of an announcement coming out at some point here that um, he will talk about different ways to boost the force maybe with retired officers, you know, to help uh, boost boost things like the sexual assault unit. Or maybe he brings in folks from other kinds of uh, disciplines to, to, to bolster that, that unit that everybody, there's nobody that doesn't want to staff that unit. That's, I'm not buying that mm. argument. I would no. like to point out that there are departments across the country that are having staffing problems since 2019, and it's not exclusive to SPD. SPD is feeling it acutely. Um, when this report came out, Ashley and Sydney's reporting with KUW and, and Seattle Times working together, they reported that you know there has been this increase in staffing in the homeless encampment removal since Mayor Harrell was uh, was elected, and it is now staffed the the unit that assists homeless encampments by twice the number of officers as the sexual assault unit. And so there are choices that are made within the budget constraints of the department that we can see. There's not a whole lot of, according to reporters that worked on this, there's not a whole lot of transparency in how these choices get made and exactly where the resources are flowing. But we do have some insight into the ways that politics can influence and policy priorities for the leadership of the city can influence the decisions that the chief has to make within a constrained system, which is that he is having a hard time, uh, you know, retaining and recruiting officers. I I would say you're that's fair to say that they're making choices. And as you know, uh, Bruce Harrell did say uh, that he was going to come in and reduce a lot of the encampments. And so the argument that you're uh, getting at, and and I hear you on that, is do they need a police officer to go to these encampments? That's a big question. Uh, A lot of folks argue you don't need it, but from the police perspective and some of the parks department officials who've been actually going out to these encampments when they're being cleaned, to say that they feel that they do need police protection. And so that gets, you know, pretty, pretty deep here into, into the weeds, but you got to decide, are you, if that's an emphasis that you ran on, uh, like Bruce Harold did, and you got a, a nice big vote for it, uh, you probably do have to protect the people that are emphasizing that right now. Now, did anyone say, yeah, let's take that at, at the expense of the sexual assault unit? That's what I'm not buying. Yeah. And I, I do want to if, if folks on this call and maybe listening have probably read this book as well. But, you know, the 2015 book uh, Ghetto Side by Jill Levy, an L.A. Times reporter, um, was an excellent look at the way that the homicide cases that go unsolved in South L.A. Uh, impact trust in the community and impact the way that police are 
uh, viewed by especially communities of color. And the difference, say, between the uh, an investigator going in and trying to solve a crime, a violent crime like a, a rape or a homicide, and, say, patrol officers, the way that they're, they treat families, the way that they interact with the public, there's a real difference there. And I think that investigating a crime like rape that does impact communities of color severely is such an important uh way both to keep communities safe also to for on the police side to improve the the relationship between the community and the department so i would just like to emphasize the difference there and the the ways that uh investigators would really make a difference in in relationships with the community uh, since we're talking about, uh, we were talking a moment ago about uh, the lack of homes, people uh, lacking a place to live. I want to move now to the price of a place to live because here we've got the economy jacked up in some ways, rising inflation and rising interest rates, rising gas prices. Libby, is has there been any good news in our economic situation for people trying to buy a home? Boy, I wish I could say yes. <laughs> I am in the midst of having moved oh back to the Seattle area. I'm from Seattle, but I, I was living in California for a while. I've just moved back. Uh, happy to be here, but not happy to be trying to buy a home right now. Um, you know, this benchmark interest rate that was raised by three quarters of a percentage uh, this point this week by the Fed is trickling down and impacting mortgage rates. It's not directly tied to mortgage rates, but it uh, impacts the way that banks can borrow money. And mortgage lenders look at things like uh, inflation and the benchmark rate in order to set their rates. And Freddie Mac said on Thursday that the rate for a 30-year fixed mortgage averaged approaching 6%. It's 5.8% uh, this week, which is up a lot from even just last week. And earlier in the year, the average rate for the 30-year fixed was closer to 3%. So if that gives you a sense of how much more expensive it is to purchase a home, I just did a little bit of you know online calculating uh, with a mortgage calculator if, for example, you were a young person looking to buy their first home along with a partner and you were looking at, say, an $800,000 uh, uh, ceiling for your budget, just out of pulling that number out of thin asking air, for a friend. just asking for a friend, um, not including taxes and fees, if you had bought at the start of the year with a 3% rate, your monthly payments would have been about $3,300. Now, with rates approaching 6%, that same 30-year fixed is closer to $4,800 a month. So think about how many people that is pricing out of the market. Now, does that mean that there could be, uh, I mean, there's already been a cooling off as, you know, rates were creeping up. There is more inventory. Uh, Prices are staying kind of flat as of May, which is the last numbers that we have, in King County at least. But when it becomes so much more expensive, just your monthly payments. Just because there's more inventory doesn't mean you can afford it. Mm. Uh, so it's it's tough. Well, I mean, the hope is, isn't it, that, um, you know, as that reality sinks in and the folks who are selling realize you can't get what you could get a couple months ago and those, and those, you know, sort of panic buying that was going on, you can't get that figure. So at least that 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 top price, the actual price for the house, eventually, and I don't know when, because I really fear for anybody trying to be in this market right now. But at some point, doesn't that 
that that total price come down? You would hope so. There's less competition. There is signs that, you know, houses are staying on the market for longer. I'm seeing some price cuts. Um, but so far, you know, we have such a huge tech-fueled economy. And, you know, most of those folks are doing just fine. And uh, the stock market is, though, uh, seeing effects of, you know, taking a downturn. So maybe those folks will also kind of pull back. Um, but right now, the prices have not caught up with the reality of the uh, the cost to buy. We kept looking yeah, and for I, that. I can I'm trying to sell and to buy, and it's it's terrifying at both ends. You know, with the selling, it's going to – we can't really sell until we find a new place. And by that point, you know, mortgage rates could be even higher. And are we going to get what we thought we were going to get? There's no way to predict. And buying – I'm finding the same thing you are, Libby, that houses are staying on the market a little bit longer. Just – it was amazing. It was an overnight thing about three weeks ago. You know, with places that we had looked at before – that were selling the day they went on the market. And if you weren't able to, uh, you know, we were finding that people were somehow finding out what was going to go on the market. Yep. They were preparing their offers even before the house went on. You, and were, it was you weren't inspecting the place. The- yeah. 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 Waving. But now it's, it's, you can't win it either. And you can't win selling and you can't win buying. And it's terrifying with all the changes and you just don't know where it's going. Yeah. I mean, the Fed is trying to, you know, do tough love here. It's like, it's like chemotherapy. Uh, it, it's like a cure that hurts a lot. You know, they're trying to cool off the economy. And uh, that will mean everything's more expensive to borrow. And that includes uh, trickle down the mortgage, the mortgage rate. So we'll see how that goes. I mean, maybe it'll mean that everyday purchases, you know, start to go down in price. But for now, for those of us <laughs> like uh, us on this call who are who are in the market, it is really painful. It's scary. Um, you know, my my realtor said that she's getting a lot of like, you know, scared clients and panic calls. So, um, yeah, I feel for people. You're listening Everybody to Marketplace. I'm Kai top. Rizdahl, and uh, that's financial advisor Libby Dakeman. Um, <laughs> actually, Weird, Kai, you look different somehow. You. Yeah, mm. uh, we can review talking about what's going on this week. Um, the the defunding, the people trying to fund for a place to live, and we've been talking about uh, uh, guns and gun magazines and COVID updates, and basically covering. Current events for you in the Pacific Northwest, as we do here on Week in Review. You're listening to freelance health reporter Joanne Silberner, political analyst and contributing columnist Joni Balter. I'm actually Bill Radke, and this is KUOW Soundside host with me, Libby Denkman. Libby, since we're talking so much about, about finances, maybe we could turn and talk about the importance of throwing a few bucks toward local independent journalism. Yes, this is the final day of our little summer membership drive. And uh, so, as always, we're working on a goal, especially intently because it's the end of our budget year. So, Libby, if someone wanted to not just love KUOW, but support KUOW, be a part of KUOW being as good as it is, what could they do right now? Say, put their money where their love and, and values mm-hmm. are. They can call 206-543-9595 or go online to KUOW.org. And we do have a big matching challenge on our hands. That's going to help. Yes. Judy from Seattle. Thank you, Judy. Has generously offered to match all contributions up to $3,500 right now. It's Judy's way of encouraging you to get on in, know that your dollar is going to be doubled. But 
think about it. If we do not maximize that gift from Judy, if we don't raise $3,500 to match her offer, that means we're leaving money on the table. We cannot afford to do that at KUW. We are a lean, mean public radio machine. We need every little bit. And so please help us maximize that gift. Help get us towards that $3,500 goal this hour by calling 206 not uh, 543-9595 or going online to KUOW.org. Not only would that be fiscally a shame to leave money on the table and not have it doubled to go toward KUOW's uh, end, of the, end of the year budget situation right now, but I, as, as the middle of nine children, I abhor waste. I just couldn't stand to see us not make this goal and have Judy say, okay, you don't want my money. Judy from Seattle, thank you for offering to match these contributions up to $3,500. Now it's up to you, listener. KUOW.org is how you get involved, or you call 206-543-9595, as Linda did. Linda in Tacoma says, as an educator and lifelong learner, I value KUOW and NPR helping me bring the world to my students. I can't tell you how many times I have quoted your reports over the years, says Linda. Thank you. P.S. Glad the school year is wrapping up. Yeah, it's that time of year. It's when school, it's it's finals week, it's it's graduations, it's the end of KUOW's budget year. So let's close the books in a positive way by going to KUOW.org right now. Uh, okay, uh, let's get back to the show. Just remember, dollar for dollar match. So if you pledge zero, you give KUOW zero. Whatever you can donate right now, though, gets doubled two times your donation right now. So KUOW.org. Five four three nine five nine five right now, and then let's uh, listen to the show together. Hang on. I'd like to be under the sea in an octopus's garden in the shade. Support for KUOW comes from Intentional Futures, a Seattle-based strategy and design consultancy working with leaders who want to make a difference in their communities offering facilitated workshops, strategy development, and more. More information at intentionalfutures.com. KUOW's Week in Review. I'm Bill Radke. We're streaming the show on YouTube and Facebook. Just search KUOW Public Radio. We've got Joe Ansel Berner and Libby Denkman and Joni Balter with us. I think we were hearing Octopus's Garden a moment ago. Be- yes. We would, be <laughs> we would be warm if it were actually warm outside. Uh, has anybody gotten a chance to walk way, way out on the beach this week? Not yet. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. We've got the lowest tides in more than a decade thanks to the way the moon wobbles. And they've got beach naturalists out in the the coastal parks helping people learn about what KUOW's John Ryan called the squishy, salty wildlife you can encounter in these rarely exposed areas. So you're a fan, Joanne? I'm so excited. And I'm a little late to the game. I think the the maximum low tide was, if you can say such a thing, was either Wednesday or Thursday. John Ryan's been doing some great reporting on on KUOW, and he's had some great descriptions Mm -hmm. of what's going on. And he also reported last year on uh, it was hot. You know, you're complaining about no heat last year when we had these low tides. He cited a guy who, uh, a shellfish farmer on Little Skokum Inlet, reported that the muddy sand where uh, his, on his beach reached 135 degrees. Yikes. You know, so this is the year to see it. Last year, you could go out and see things dying. This yeah. year, you can actually go out and see things. But don't touch them. Leave them alone. Yeah, that's the thing. You, you, is everybody really not touching? Because you bring a child all the way to the beach. <laughs> 
Oh, they're touching. Yeah. I saw touching. people w- walking around with buckets, so I know they're touching because they're, they're putting stuff in buckets. Come on. You, yeah. I know I mean, that's we part of the fun, right? That's, you know, that's the get out there in the gray gloom of June. Get out there and touch those things that you never see. You never see that starfish. Has maybe never seen, um, you know, air like that, quite like that. And you can grab those clams that sometimes you have to like lay down and stick your arm under and almost break your arm trying to get some of those those guys. This is this but is it. It's really one of the wonderful things about living in the Pacific Northwest. We are so close to nature. It's really not going to take anything to get out somewhere on the Puget Sound this week and take a look. Have you heard, though, that the Washington State Ferries ramps yep. are, are getting in trouble because the low tide means that some of the ferry ramps have to be so steep in order to let cars oh, and people on and, and off that they have to have special rules, like for big vehicles especially. Because the it, boat is down low. Yeah, everything's lower. Yeah. yeah. So there's yeah. another reason to be late at the ferry terminal. <laughs> yeah. Not to be a killjoy, but for the sea creatures, though, isn't this the apocalypse for them? They're, they're, that they're suddenly last breathing. Year, last air? year was, re- yeah, so th- some of them are going to die this year, but it's not going to be like last year. Okay. That was the and great these things have happened, world. you know. They, they, in fact, they're, it's, they're a little bit less dramatic now than they've been because we've had, you know, several inches of sea level rise. So the low isn't quite as low. But this has happened throughout you know, certainly the 20th century, uh, they have had it, you know, it's sort of part of their natural life cycle. What wasn't part of their natural life cycle was that incredible heat that they faced last year. So, yeah, some of them will die, but, you know, that's nature. Right. Okay. That makes me feel a little better. Uh, speaking of feeling better, we're we're driving toward the end of the show and the end of KUOW summer membership drive. By the way, um, let's let's leave folks with something to smile about. The news is the news sometimes just isn't um, it doesn't make us kick up our heels. So, um, did anybody have something that happened this week that makes you hopeful or giddy? I have something that happens um, in about three days. How about the solstice? Oh, all that light. If it were bright out, you'd really notice it. But just this way is good, too, to have light from 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. And, you know, the solstice brings out the silly in us if you've ever been to Fremont. Yeah, it's the parades this weekend. I think it's Saturday, the Naked Bicycle Parade. That's right. It doesn't look comfortable to me. I've never done it. I've never had a desire to do it. It just doesn't look comfortable. (laughs) I think it would require a special seat. Some kind of extra padding or something before I would get on there, at least. Yeah. (laughs) How about Seattle getting named as a World Cup host in 2026? That's good. (laughs) That's very exciting. Wait a second. That's too subtle. Come on. I immediately (laughs) thought, wow, okay, A, I would love to attend because this is a wonderful soccer town. It's going to be an amazing crowd, whatever matches we actually end up hosting. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I just started wanting to look at the sound transit uh, light rail uh, expansion plans and what kind of transit picture this is going to be. Uh, because, of course, for these huge events, we always just get slammed with people and, and cars. Yes. Um, but really, especially following up on, you know, a, a crummy few years of pandemic, this is going to be a huge celebration in a few years and great for Seattle to it's really a recognition of what a wonderful soccer town this is. Yeah, Seattle is one of 11 U.S. cities, and Vancouver, B.C. is hosting some games, too. I thought in you Mexico. Were... There's some in Mexico, too. Yep, yep. 
I thought you were going to say, Libby, that you were looking at the sound transit escalators to see if they might start working <laughs> for 2026. Listen. But it is a big deal. You know, come on. They're touting it as the biggest sports event in our history. And it, and it you know, this is international. It's a, it is a genuine big deal to be part of this. And, you know, Seattle, as you said, is such a good soccer town. And when the folks came here uh, earlier this year, they were just wild by Seattle and how much we do support our soccer team. It's, and think of the crush of hotel room demand in this region. Uh, what's involved in turning my home into an Airbnb? If I'm <laughs> yeah, right. People did that in the Atlanta Olympics. People rented out, people, Atlantans I know rented out their homes and went somewhere else for the two weeks. They avoided the traffic, they avoided the crowds, and they made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely going to be an exodus. There will be th- those people who can leave, they will leave. But those of us who stay, well, it'll be a great party, an amazing party. <laughs> Again, as I was with the low tides and the starfish, I'm going to be the uh, the voice of gloom, which is that the clearing of homeless encampments that's going to happen around the World yep. Cup, that's a thing, right? I mean, not yeah. that it's not happening now, but... Yeah, every major event we see that uh, occurring, of course, especially along major routes, anything that's going to see cameras. Yeah, you're going to see a lot of um, sprucing up uh, that is surface level and ends up hurting people who live here, certainly. If you like graffiti removal, you might be pleased at the energy that's going to go into that. Uh, And Lumen Field, they are going to have to pull up the turf and put in real grass. Does the real grass then (laughs) stay or does it immediately leave us as soon as the World Cup well, it probably goes back to whatever the needs are of the, you know, the home teams here. But, you know, Lumen Field was built for that, to be adaptable in that way. Yeah. They set it free once it's done. They set it, the grass they free do. into the wild. It can roam, yeah, oh. once, once oh. they're done. They go back to the field turf, the plastic and, and rubber stuff. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, it's a beautiful story, Bill. It, it is. That is a gorgeous story. Anything else um, smile-worthy this week? I have been really into the new uh, Gaslit series on Stars about Martha Mitchell and the Watergate scandal. I with thought Julia, I was Julia Roberts. Yes, Julia Roberts playing Martha Mitchell. I thought I was done with Watergate stories, mm-hmm. and this is the uh, video TV version of Slow Burn, which yeah. came out a few years ago. A Slate podcast. I'm telling you, the acting, the writing, it's delightful. I did not think I would be laughing so hard. You you really get that uh, mix of this is so bleak, and yet everyone involved made such bad decisions, and truly there was a lot of incompetence as well, and you have mm. to laugh. With this much distance, you have to laugh. So if you uh, can get stars, we uh, accessed it through our Prime account. Mm, that's beautiful. And it and it's called um, Gaslit. Gaslit. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that. Um, oh, and then I guess finally uh, on our way out, I hope you all can appreciate. And I want to one more thing, which is. Oh, oh, yes, please. Did I hear something? Oh, Joanne. I think Joanne froze up. Oh, I was. Uh, we're losing. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, I, I think this has been a mild January. Everybody's complaining, but I, you know, June's I've, I'm only, I've only been here for 12 years, but this is the, le- the least bad of all the Juniors and everyone's oh, complaining. No. I'm not sure why. No, we have more, it's colder, you know, we're way under the average temperature and we have m- much more rain. It is um, common to have June gloom, but this is, this is extra gloom. Well, my husband just came back from a business trip to Cleveland where it was 104 degrees. And I'm thinking, I'm glad I'm here. It was 108 where I'm sitting a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like Joanne's attitude. I'm yeah. going to channel that into the weekend. 
I'm with you. Bring and, it on. And appreciate Juneteenth on, on Sunday and then the Monday holiday. Uh, this is the first time Washington has made it an official state holiday. It's also a federal holiday now. Uh, the sponsor of the Washington State Bill, Melanie Morgan, said that uh, uh, the goals of Juneteenth are to celebrate, educate, and agitate by shaking things up. Uh, a day, of course, commemorating the effective end of chattel slavery. And the, there was a Juneteenth speaker at the state capitol calling it a day of hope, liberation, and resiliency. Here's a little bit of the uh, uh, choir for the one Seattle Juneteenth celebration, the choir in rehearsal. Let's see if I can get that going. I know I have that audio because it sounds really good. Here you go. That's the one Seattle Juneteenth celebration rehearsal there for that event coming up on Sunday at McCaw Hall at Seattle Center. And, um, you know, right here at the end of the show, I want to check in on how the pledge drive is going, because I know you're dying to find out, is KOW going to meet its goal? Uh, We're right at the end of our budget year, so there's that big goal, and then there's hour by hour we're trying to to get you to become part of the KOW supporter family. Uh, And Libby Denkman, we've got this uh, match from a, a nice listener that ought to help things along. Yes, we have a $3,500 match from Judy in Seattle. And just as soon as my computer starts working, I'll be able to tell you what our status is on that. But we oh. have been getting donations all hour at 206-543-9595 or KUOW.org. Bill, can you help me out? Do you know what the status is on that match? I'm, I'm waiting to find out. All um, right. Go to KUOW.org or call 206-543-9595. Uh, you're paying for the best when it comes to the correspondence we've got. We were just mentioning John Ryan. Uh, bringing us always good stuff, and he's been reporting on the low tides. Uh, If you can name KUOW, local reporters and hosts, and you listen during the pledge drive, I think you're an excellent candidate for actually stepping up and keeping this independent source of local journalism going strong. KUOW.org. $3,500 match from Judy in Seattle. Let's maximize that. Every single dollar counts. Please think about the value that KUOW has brought to you throughout the calendar year and know that we are trying to make plans for coverage of all kinds of things this summer. There is a midterm elections, of course, coming up this year. The local politics, the information that connects you to your community, all of this is made possible by your support. Listeners are our largest and most reliable source of funding. You can make that call at 206-543-9595 or KUOW.org to keep us strong throughout the year. This was a very short three-day June member drive that was partially preempted by the January 6th hearings. So it has been a slow drive. Mm. We have been trying to pick up the pace, but it's been really, it's like a roller coaster. Sometimes things have, have just slowed to a crawl. So please help that momentum turn around here in the final hours of the drive. We only have about four hours left in this drive. 206-543-9595 or KUOW.org. While you're going to KUOW.org or calling 543-9595, I want to say thank you to my panel this week, Freelance Health 
health reporter Joanne Silberner and political analyst and contributing columnist Joni Balter. Thank you for, <laughs> for making a show worthy of KOW uh, <laughs> listener dollars. Thank you for coming on this week, talking about the news. Thank you. Thank you. Great to see you. Our show is produced by Kevin Kinestet. Social media and live streaming by Juan Pablo Chiquiza and Tio Popescu. We got Bernard Wallet on the board, sometimes bringing your octopus's garden. And hopefully we are producing a show every day uh, and with Soundside as well and Seattle Now and all the great program, programming on KUOW. We're hoping that here at the end of the budget year, you get how public radio works and that it's worth your investment at KUOW.org. KUOW. Whoa, those letters are KUOW.org or 206-543-9595. Sometimes when you say things over and over, they lose all meaning. Mm-hmm. Folks, we are asking for your support as the member drive. Final hours in this June drive are ticking away. 206-543-9595 or KUOW.org. And thank you to everyone who supported us so far during Week in Review. KUOW, Seattle's NPR news station. KUOW FM Seattle. KUOW Tumwater and KQOW Bellingham. Worthy of your support, your financial support right now. KUOW.org or on the phone, 206-543-9595. Thanks for tuning in to Week in Review. Thanks for supporting it financially, and we'll see you again next week.